0: So uh, we're in this series, and uh, it's spiritual formation is uh, the title of the series that we're in, and our overarching theme for this is Galatians chapter 2.20, and I think I left that in there, Megan, I'm not sure if I left that slide in there, but yeah, uh, this is the the theme verse for this series that we're in. Paul, in Galatians chapter 2, he makes the statement, he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And, and we have uh, been emphasizing Paul's testimony in this series because Paul wasn't saying to his church, hey, God has changed me, I'm this superstar, you should all celebrate me. Paul was actually sharing this as a testimony. He was saying, I used to live, it used to be my will, it used to be my desires, I did the things I wanted, and then Jesus changed everything. And now it's no longer me who lives, it's Jesus living through me. And, and what, the reason Paul was saying that to this group of churches in Galatia was because he's saying, this can be your testimony. You can actually live in such a way that Jesus changes your desires and your hearts and, and your whole life is transformed, not because of your strength or power or ability, but because of God at work in you. And so spiritual formation is a very, it's, it's a very practical series where we're talking about what are some of the, the, the real tangible things that we can do in our walk with Jesus, to just make, like, to, to be serious about our walk with Him. You know, we talk a lot about following Jesus, but we don't always talk about what that looks like practically, and that's what this, this series is all about. And So, today we're talking about confession, and uh, I want to just open with this, okay, because it, and and I, uh, I want to make sure that you know I'm not condoning this, but uh, when I was younger, my parents believed in spanking, okay? Okay. Uh, I probably made them believe in it even more, okay? So if they weren't sure what they, where they stood on spanking, like, I came along and they, all, they knew where they stood. I also want to say, uh, sometimes spanking has been done in horrible ways. It's been terrible. It's been abusive. I'm not condoning that. I'm just telling you a little bit of my, my story, okay? So uh, my parents believed in, in spanking. So I knew if I did something wrong and it was deliberate, then I would get a spanking for that, okay? Okay. Uh, and, and you don't have to raise your hands, but probably a lot of us in this room have, have experienced uh, that kind of punishment, okay? Uh, it was kind of a wake-up call for me. Um, I, uh, I didn't like getting a spanking, and so uh, it, was, it was this thing that was like a motivator not to do something bad. But I remember there was this one time, and I can't remember exactly what it was. Either I bold-faced lied, or my dad specifically told me not to do something, and I just, I just kind of smiled at him and went and did it anyway, anyway okay? It was one of those things where it was like, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do what I want, right? Um, some of us are still like that. Anybody here? This is a confession day, okay? So we're going we're to be confessing. Anybody have that attitude where, you, like, maybe you didn't want to do the thing, but then somebody told you not to do it, and all of a sudden you want to do it. Anybody? Am I the only one? Am I the, oh, I'm going to confess, okay? Some of us have that, okay? So um, whatever it was, I had, like, deliberately disobeyed, but, I, like, this, this new thing happened where I, I felt this conviction. I was like, like, it wasn't just because I had upset my dad. I just, I did this thing that was, was a bold-faced lie. It was bold-faced, delib- like, deliberate disobedience. And I had this conviction. And for whatever reason, I felt like I need to go and confess to my dad. And so I was like six or seven years old. And I went and confessed to this, this deliberate sin, okay, to my dad. And I ended it. And I wasn't trying to put guilt on him. Looking back now, I'm a parent. I could see how this would happen. But I ended my confession with, you probably should spank me. So, he, like, I don't know if it was just that that deterred him or what, uh, but his response to me was, he said, and I'm like six or seven at the time, right? And he looked at me, he was like, Nathan, he's like, clearly, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life right now. Like, you, you had enough conviction, you felt convicted, you felt remorse, and, and you felt sorrow over what you did, so you came and confessed it. He said, I, like there's nothing I need to do now. Like, what, what good is spanking going to do now? Like, you've already felt the conviction of God, right? So, so I picked up on that. So I started confessing all the time, right? So I did something wrong. I was like, I would run. I was like, I want my dad to find out from me before he finds out from anybody else if I did something wrong. Like, that was, so in a silly way, I, I picked up on it. But in reality, I learned a really valuable lesson that day. I never forgot his words that the conviction that I felt that caused me to go and confess that that actually came from the Holy Spirit. That came from God. And so what it did was it, it just gave me this desire where I was like, I want to do that, Lord. Like, if you, if you tell me something, if I've done something wrong or I've messed up, which I've done a lot, I want to I do right by it. I want to make things right, right? And so that's, uh, that's confession, what we're talking about. There's a definition that be up on the screen. Confession, just to give you an idea of what, where we're headed with this, is to willingly admit to a wrong that was done to expose oneself to God and another person and to ask for his, God's, forgiveness. So, I just want to make that really clear. So, so when we're talking about confession, there will be things that you've done that are wrong, that I've done that are wrong, against other people. And it is important to make things right between you and other people, but it's actually even more important to make things right with God. And we're going to refer to a story in Scripture where... uh, It's actually, it's really clear in Scripture that no matter what it is that we've done against other people, it's actually the sin that we've committed, it's it's against God even more than it is against the people that we've hurt. Remember Jesus' words, whatever you've done unto the very least of these, you've done unto me. So when we've been unkind towards somebody that we think very little of, God says, well, yeah, that was wrong to them, but you're actually doing a disservice to me. Isn't that a convicting thought? Right, so confession is making things right. So sometimes it is. It's horizontal. It's making things right with people, but it's always this recognition that God, I've actually grieved you, because of how I treated my sister or my parent or my child or my coworker. Right? It's it's a it's it's a confession that we need to make things right uh, with God. And so we're going to read Psalm, Psalm chapter one thirty nine, and this is not the normal. Uh, scripture passage to go to when talking about confession, but you'll see why we're, we're going there today. This is one of the most intimate psalms, prayers in the whole Bible. And just, if you want to follow along, the words will be on the screen, but if you want to close your eyes and listen, you can too. This is a prayer from David. And, and David, in the scriptures, he's called a man after God's own heart. He was super flawed. We did a whole series on David last spring. He was very flawed, but he had a relationship with a very holy, righteous God. But listen to the, just the relationship he has with God. Like, he is confident that God knows him intimately, and, and it comforts him. It doesn't make him afraid. It actually comforts him. I'm going to pray before we read this. Lord, as we read your word today and as we talk about confession, I just pray that you'd help us to hear your voice. I pray that we wouldn't hear this sermon, this topic today with condemnation, making us feel like we're horrible and there's no hope out of that state, but that we'd hear this, and we, we would actually see how horrible we are, but we'd also see how loved we are by you, and how you actually invite us into a relationship where we experience your restoration and your peace. So may we hear what you have to say today, in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 139, O oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say, even before I say it, Lord. That's a really convicting thought. You, know, you go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body, You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I, I can't even count them. They outnumbered the grains of sand, and when I wake up, you are still with me. Now, notice the shift. We'll, we'll touch on this later. Notice the shift in tone here. Verse 19, oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies and then the shift again. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So this psalm for years has been one of my favorite psalms to read, to preach, to share with others. But I often would stop at verse 18 because The first 18 verses of this psalm is this beautiful prayer where David is talking about how intimately known he is by God. And you've got to know, he is a very flawed person. If you're the type of person that comes to church and you feel like, oh, I don't fit in because these people are all, they have these great lives and mine's falling apart, David should be an encouragement to all of us. He was an incredibly flawed human being who made tons of mistakes and errors. And you could even see it in his prayer. He's got this battle with hatred against his enemies. But then he's like, he's confident that he's known by God. It's this incredible psalm where he just like waxes eloquent about just being known by God. It's this incredibly peaceful reality to him. But then you get to to verse 19 and David becomes angry. He's angry at the people that have mistreated him. He's angry at the people that he sees as hating God. And he just, he's honest with God about that anger. And I used to stop at verse 18 because I thought, man, verses 19... 20, 21, like, they're just this weird, it's like this weird rabbit trail. David's all, you know, beautiful in his language and talking about the, how God knows him, and then all of a sudden he gets angry and mean and upset. But I've actually come to appreciate it because in the context of prayer, this is what a real prayer looks like when you talk to God. It should be. Our prayer should be just this recognition of the beauty and the grandeur of God, the amazingness of God, this reality like, man, he, this, the God that created everything loves me. And then, and then there's, like, stuff in our heart that isn't fully dealt with, like David, and you just, you just talk to God about it. David's, David's language in here isn't, like, the Scriptures aren't saying, yes, David should hate people and want to kill them. But David's emotions are real, and those are, but we should bring those to God. We, like God is the safest place to be who you really are. So if you feel like you need to hide in any way, if you feel like there's things you need to keep secret and you don't want people to see, like, don't do that with God. God is the safest place to be completely who you are without any hiddenness, without anything to hide. And so just just know that today. If you don't hear anything else, hear that. When you go to God, he sees it all anyway. David is so comforted by the fact, he's like, God, before I even say a word, you know it. How many of you, when we read that, you thought about stupid words that you've said? Because for me, that's where my mind goes. I, I read that and I like, David says, Lord, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. For me, I'm like, I think of some of the stupid things that I said and I'm like, man, God even knows that? Well, that comforted David because he also knew that God loved him like fully, completely, totally, that that love was not going to change. And so David was able to be completely and totally and fully himself when he approached God. But then at the at the end, verses 23 and 24, he says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that's wrong. And, and my uh, challenge to us today is that we would have this same prayer that David did, where we would be honest with God about our flaws and our weaknesses, our hatred, our anger, but then we would say, God, if there's anything wrong in me, just deal with it. Bring it out. Because that's, that's what happens a lot for people that maybe live double lives, or they live um, hypocritical Christian lives, is that we keep all this stuff a secret. What David is modeling for us is just saying, Lord, if there's anything wrong in me, just, just expose it, bring it out. I want it dealt with. I want it gone. I don't want it hidden. You see it already, so just bring it out and deal with it. That's what confession looks like. Confession is to, is to take an honest look on the inside of our hearts and minds and say, God, if there's anything wrong, if there's anything wicked, if there's anything that grieves you, just expose it. Bring it into the open so that I can deal with it. Because keeping it in, in your heart and mind will destroy you. Anything that's sinful, anything that's wicked, an evil thought, a murderous thought, a hateful thought, a lustful thought, if you keep that hidden, it, it will bring destruction. And so David is pointing us in the way of confession. He's saying, bring those things out. Expose them. God sees them already, and he loves you. So expose those things. Bring them out. I'm going to put two slides up, uh, and, and one is misunderstanding the gospel, and the other is, is true gospel. And so here's a misunderstanding of the gospel. And, and there's a lot of truth in here, but I want to just draw our attention to how we sometimes misunderstand the gospel. So here's a misunderstanding. God created humans. Humans rebelled against God. This created a separation. God was filled with anger. He sent his son to die on their behalf and satisfy his anger against them. All who trust Jesus are saved. There's a lot of truth in here, but a lot of us feel like at the core of who God is, He's angry at us. He's angry at sin. And, and don't mishear me. God hates sin. Sin does anger God. But at the very core of who God is, the reason Jesus Christ came to die on the cross, He wasn't motivated by anger at the core of who He is. He's motivated by love. The next slide, the true gospel. Let me just show you the little bit uh, different wording here and how much of a difference it makes. God created humans. Humans rebelled against God. This created a separation. God was grieved. You could even say God hated sin. God was angry at sin. God loved them, humans. So he sent his son to die on their behalf. God's love was the motivation for his sacrifice. All who trust Jesus are saved. And so, again, I want to be clear. I'm not saying God isn't angry at sin. God hates sin. But the motivation, the reason Jesus came to die in our place, was because of his great love for you and I. Greater love has no man than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. Jesus wanted us to know that it was his love, that was why he came. And so when we, when we get caught up in, in sin, sometimes it's sin done to us, we need to know God loves us and he sees us where we are and he made a way for us to experience peace and everlasting life and joy. When we, when we deliberately disobey God, when we reject Him, when we do things that, that we know are wrong and we do it on purpose, yes, those things grieve God's heart. Those things make God angry. But it was His love that said, no, I'm going to come and give up my life for you. He was motivated by love. At the core of God's being, He is love. And His love for you and I is something we'll never fully comprehend. But it is something, you've got to catch this, you'll never comprehend God's love, but you can experience it. When you read David's prayer in Psalm 139, that is an example of somebody who was experiencing the love of God. The way he talked about being intimately known by God, he had come in contact with this loving God and he realized God loves me deeply. He knows every word before I even say it. He knit me together in my mother's womb. He's with me no matter where I go. If I travel to the farthest regions of the earth, he's there. He's with me. He knew he was loved by God. I would say David didn't fully understand it but he experienced the incredible love of God. Richard Foster, the the book that we're uh, reading along with this series, he says, Without the cross, the discipline of confession would be only psychologically therapeutic, but it is so much more. It involves an objective change in our relationship with God and a subjective change in us. It is a means of healing and transforming the inner spirit. So I want to look at Just three things today. First is that confession is public, and then the three necessities of confession, and then who am I supposed to confess to? So confession is public, and we experienced this today. So that confession prayer that Randy led us in was beautiful. And I don't know if that was a new experience for you, but we, we publicly confessed to God our sin and our waywardness. Maybe some of you reading that, were uncomfortable with some of the things that you were confessing. Maybe some of you reading that were thinking, I've done so much worse. There was more coming to your mind or heart. But this this public confession is so important. And if you go into the Old Testament, uh, confession was public. In, in the Old Testament, before Jesus came and revealed to us that he was God's perfect sacrifice, the Israelites, every year, they would observe what was called the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. Okay? This was a, an annual uh, sacrifice where the priest, and you can read about it in in the book of Leviticus, but the priest would perform elaborate rituals to atone for the sins of the people, and all of Israel was present. So at Yom Kippur every year, all of Israel, the whole congregation that had, had experienced The the words of God and they knew they were the people of God, they would get together and the priest would go through this elaborate sacrifice with all kinds of bulls and sheep and goats and it was to atone for the sins of the people. And the congregation, the reason that they would do this together is because everybody was aware of their sin, but it was a needed uh, ritual because we all were were the same, whether you look at people from 3,000 years ago or today, we need to be corporately reminded of our sin and our waywardness. From God. And so this confession was, was public. And then in the New Testament, Jesus comes, He reveals, He says, I'm the sacrifice. Yom Kippur, we don't need to, to do that anymore because I am the perfect sacrifice. Jesus came, He died on the cross for our sins. He, he died on our behalf to give us freedom and, and to give us a way to have a relationship with God. Sin separates us from God, Jesus' sacrifice gives us a way to Him. But I want to I say this, this prayer so you all remember the Lord's Prayer, right? We're, I'm not going to put it on the screen. I just want to say this together, and then I want to highlight a couple things that are in here. And so we're going to say the, the King James Version of the Lord's Prayer. So we'll say "trespass is not sins, okay? It's always confusing when you do this out loud because we, uh, we all, like, say the prayer in different versions, translations. So um, let's say the Lord's Prayer together, and then I want to highlight uh, a couple things. And so we'll just do it from, from memory. And if you don't know it, you can kind of just say watermelon like this. Okay, it'll look like you're saying it. Okay, but for those of you who know it, we'll, uh, we'll say it out loud. Okay, let's say this together Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You catch something here. Jesus instructed his followers to pray this prayer on a daily basis. And what's, what, what a lot of people don't notice about this prayer is it's not a prayer Jesus said, go pray this one in your prayer closet. I do that often. I often use this prayer when it's just me and Jesus. But it was actually designed to be a corporate prayer. Notice how he starts off, our Father. And then when it gets to the part where it talks about sins, it says, forgive us our sins. Confession was actually meant to be public because there is nobody alive on planet Earth that is exempt from being a sinner that is exempt from having done things that grieve God's heart. All of us have done that. And so Jesus, when He was teaching this prayer, He was saying, pray this together. When you gather together, acknowledge God is your Father. Acknowledge that He's with you, but daily confess your sins. Confess the things that you've done wrong. Confession is meant to be public. Not necessarily are we to get up and specifically say what our sins are to a whole congregation. I'm going to get to that. But but confession is meant to be public. Now, uh, St. Alphonsus, and this will be up on the screen, uh, I want to just talk about these three necessities of confession. He said, For a good confession, three things are necessary. An examination of conscience, sorrow, and a determination to avoid sin. So, if, if you're thinking about confession, okay, and I want you to just think about your own life and be real for a minute here. What are some things that come to mind when you think of confession? What are some things that maybe you've never confessed? So corporately, we're, we're saying together, as a group of people, we're saying, we have sinned. God, would you forgive us? But then each of us, we've sinned in ways that are unique to us. Every single person in this room, we've all Sin. We've all done things that deserve this separation from God, right? All of us, okay? And, and I want you just to have some of those things in mind. And so, uh, for a necessity of confession, an, an examination of conscience is absolutely important. And, and here's what I want to encourage you to do. Examine your conscience by using God's Word. I sat with a young guy a few years ago who had a major struggle with pornography. And, and it was uh, he came to me because he, was, he couldn't get away from watching pornography on a regular basis, just all the time. And, and the reason he came, it was kind of a confession. It was, it was an interesting couple conversations that we had about it because he, he, he knew that Christian teaching said it was wrong. But I remember sitting with him and he said, I have zero conviction about this. I don't feel bad about it at all. And so I was sitting and talking with him, and I was thinking, why are we having this conversation, <laughs> right? Like, because he, he, like, the longer we talked, the more he was kind of solidifying this conviction that he's like, I don't think this is wrong at all. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And, and I'm like, well, there is, right? And we are having this conversation. And, and I'm thinking, like, well, why did you tell me, right? Like, what, what's, what motivated this? But he, what he was wrestling through was, like, he, he knows people say it's wrong, but he couldn't get to the point where he actually sensed the conviction for it. And my challenge to this young man was to actually don't, don't wait for yourself to feel bad. Like, like the, the, one of the necessities of confession is this examination of conscience. Examine your conscience in light of what the Scriptures teach. Jesus addressed this on the Sermon of the Mount. He says to this crowd of people, this whole group of people, he says, you know, you all agree that adultery is wrong. So if you're married and you go and you, you sleep around your spouse, you know, you all agree that that's wrong. He said, but but I want to take it a step further. He said, if you look at a woman, or if you're a woman and you look at a man with lust in your mind and heart, he said, to, between you and God, that's the same as adultery, which is an incredibly convicting thought because Jesus, what he was doing was he was making the, the playing field level because the crowd that Jesus was talking to had all these religious elites, these people that wore robes and they were really smart and they knew the Bible well and they, and they paraded their righteousness in front of everybody. And, and, and they, you know, they, they lived according to the law. And they would point to people that had adultery, uh, adulterous relationships and say, oh, you've, you've like messed up. And Jesus looked at the religious people. He said, you know, for those of you that are religious and you claim to know the Bible, even thinking lustfully about somebody who's not your spouse, that's the same to God as adultery. You know, there's nobody in that crowd that day that walked away feeling like really great about themselves. That often happened when Jesus t- taught, by the way. Like when Jesus would teach, you didn't get some people that were like, "Oh, I'm doing so good." Everybody walked away going, "I desperately need God because I'm a sinner and I'm flawed and I've messed up." So Jesus leveled the playing field. And so so as you examine conscience, maybe maybe you're here today and you're listening to this and you're, you're thinking of some things that you're like, "Well, I know that some people say this is wrong or the Bible says it's wrong, but I don't feel it." Don't trust your feelings. Trust what God says in His Word. If you go trusting your feelings, you will be led astray. I guarantee you'll be led off into all kinds of things that are just absolutely, will mess up your life, your mind, your thinking, and your relationship with God. So as you examine your conscience, make sure you do that in light of uh, God's Word. Second uh, necessity of confession is sorrow. There's a quote up here, Megan, by, by Foster. He says, sorrow, as it relates to confession, is not primarily an emotion. Though emotion may be involved, it is an abhorrence at having committed the sin, a deep, regret at having offended the heart of the Father. I would encourage you to pray for that godly sorrow. There's been times in my life where I, I'm just aware where I'm like, God, I don't think I feel sorrow over the things I should feel sorrow for. You know, there's a prayer I often pray for myself and for others when I'm praying for them. And it goes like this. I go, God, I want to hate the things you hate, and I want to love the things you love. Sometimes people come and they'll, they'll confess to me a lack of sorrow for the things that they're doing that they know are wrong. My prayer for them is, God, help them to hate it the way you hate it. You're talking about pornography. When I've, I've mentored young men for years, and, and when, when I'm in those conversations where someone's confessing to me a lack of sorrow over that sin, my prayer is, God, help them to hate it the way you hate it. Help them to see it from your perspective. And a sorrow is something sometimes we have to pray for. God, I want to I hate the things you hate. I want to I be grieved over the things that grieve you. You know, when you, when you start to realize what Christ has done for you, his sacrifice on the cross, when, when, you, when you realize that like, Jesus actually allowed himself to be beaten to a pulp and nailed to the cross on our behalf because of our sin, it actually changes our perspective of sin. You, you start to, when, the more you realize that, the more you go, God, I, like, if, if that's what you went to the cross for, I don't want any part of it. If my sin and the things that I'm doing that are wrong are what sent you to the cross, I want nothing to do with it. That's a godly sorrow. You know, when we realize what the things that we are, are doing, what, what they've done to the one that loves us more than anybody could ever love us, it'll give us this sorrow. And then third, a determination to avoid sin. And, and so that's another necessity of sin. Uh, confession, is this determination to avoid sin. In Genesis 39 verse 9, this will be on the screen, Joseph is talking to uh, Potiphar's wife, and he says, how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. It's the last line. And, and so that story, if you're not familiar, there's a story in the, in the Bible, in the book of Genesis. Joseph, he's this slave, and he was sold into slavery. And, and he works in the house of this high government official. His name is Potiphar. And Potiphar has this really good-looking wife that was super flirty, okay? And Potiphar was out of town and, and she started flirting with Joseph. And he, you got to realize, like, Joseph is like the lead slave. He's become kind of the manager of the house. He's risen to this, like, high position. And, and Potiphar's wife is flirting with him. And Potiphar's out of town and she's like, hey, Joseph, like, we could just sleep together nobody would know, right? And so you've got to imagine, like, Joseph was facing temptation, but I've always been struck by Joseph's response because he doesn't say, how could I do this thing against Potiphar? He says, how could I do this against God? God is the one that blessed me. God is the one that's given me favor. How could I sin against God Almighty? And and that determination that I'm talking about to not sin, it's this realization that our sin is actually first and foremost against God. I love Joseph's response in, in Genesis. And that's been my prayer. I'm like, Lord, I want to see that my sin is actually something I commit against you, not just the people here on earth that I potentially could hurt or cause damage to. And that realization will drive you to your knees where you're like, God, give me this desire to do the things you desire. In, uh, and I would encourage you, again, I want to reemphasize this. Don't hide anything. In Psalm 139, verses 1 to 4, and reread this, what we read earlier. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say before I say it, Lord. And then verses 23 and 24 at the end of the psalm, he ends this way. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Maybe for you this is new, and you don't know how to pray a prayer of confession. Take Psalm one thirty nine, and just pray that for three weeks. That prayer. Start start your day. Maybe today you're still You'll walk out of here, and you still feel like you're battling sin. Pray pray this prayer when you're alone with God, Lord. Search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. I, you know, one of the things I, I, I don't want to see people do is to walk away from a, a church service where you hear a sermon and you're like, well, I'm going to do this because the preacher said so. Our desire, one of the things, you see us every Sunday, we always gather around in a circle before we start and we pray. Like, we always begin our services that way. You know what we're asking God to do? We're just asking God, Lord, you reveal yourself. Like, reveal yourself to the people that are here. Reveal yourself to us. Like, this, this has to be between us and this almighty, powerful God. It's, you know, it's not about human pressure and you doing the things that you think you're supposed to do to look good. It, it, it has to do with you and God. So lastly, whom, to whom do I confess? And, and here's, here's just a really simple, if you don't hear the rest of this, hear this. If you're asking the question, who do I confess to? To God and someone with skin, okay? To God and somebody with skin on, okay? And let me just unpack that as we we close, okay? In 1 Timothy chapter two, it says, for there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Your forgiveness, my forgiveness happens because we've gone to God, because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. So we confess to God the things that we've done. Now listen to James chapter five, verse 16. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so that you might be healed. It is important, and here's here's how I want to challenge us as we we close this this topic of confession: is is the Lord bringing something up in your heart that you've not confessed? Start by today we're gonna we're gonna have an opportunity to confess again, but confess to somebody that you know loves Jesus, not somebody that's gonna be a gossip. Okay, so be careful with that. Don't confess to anybody that likes to talk on Facebook about whatever, Right? find somebody that you know loves Jesus that will pray with you and confess. You know, in uh, AA, so Caleb, Caleb and I do a, a 12-step recovery program here on Tuesday nights. There's a lot of people that are here that come to that, and uh, right now, we're working through steps eight and nine, and so uh, the, the steps that we're doing are based on the AA 12 steps. Uh, the, the program we're using is a different one. It's similar to Celebrate Recovery. It's called Overcomers. Uh, But steps eight and nine, I just want to read those two to you. The the guys that made AA, they were like, okay, the the problems that people have with addiction are so much deeper than just drugs and alcohol. It's this stuff in our hearts and our minds that we don't work out. And so in step eight and nine, I'm going to read them to you. These are what you have to do. You make a list of all the people you've harmed, and you become willing to make amends. That's step eight. Step nine, I make sincere amends to the people I've harmed, and I forgive those who have harmed me. If, if, if you're going to walk in freedom, even according to AA, there's this, there's this time that comes in your life where confession is a big part of it. We should not be carrying secrets with us to the grave. It's a terrifying thing. It's a scary thing sometimes. But the scriptures are so clear. Like, yes, confess to God and, and, and ask Him for His forgiveness, but also confess. To somebody with skin on, someone that loves Jesus, that you can you can empty the things that are in your heart, and you can hear that person say, "You're a new creation in Christ." You've all heard me tell stories about my my family, uh, but I just, this, it's worth repeating this. My dad, when he was still in prison, he met my mom, who famously they married on the day of his release, and uh, it was you know probably not the best. <laughs> Advice to give, marry, marrying somebody on the day of their release from prison. But before he got out of prison and before he was going to marry my mom, he, he knew he had to confess some things. And, and the way that he describes it, and I've heard him tell this story so many times, he said when he first started to confess, he confessed the things that were done to him. He'd been sexually abused. He'd had horrible things done to him that led to why he ended up doing some of the things that he did. He confessed that stuff. And then, and then there was the second phase of his confession where he confessed some things that he participated in stuff that his friends were doing that he knew he shouldn't and he got involved and he started confessing those things. But there was this third level of confession and he's, he shared this so many times about how like this was the hardest part for him to confess. He had to confess the things that he had initiated, things that he had done on his own that he knew were wrong, evil, and wicked and it was a risk because he was, his thought was she's going to walk away and think he's you know, I'm, I'm some monster. But he, but he just did it in obedience to what the Scriptures teach, and the freedom that he walked in after that, he still talks about it to this day, like something changed on the inside of his heart because, because he confessed those things, and the response he got back was, you're a new creation in Jesus. So, so maybe for you that's a, going to see a counselor or a therapist or, or somebody who, who you know loves Jesus, who has spiritual maturity, but it is important to take that step. And so uh, our practices... I'm going to read these, and then I'm going to invite the band up, and we're, going to, we're actually going to do a practice of confession today with, with communion. But here's the practices up on the screen, and, and, and I just want to encourage you, each week I'm encouraging us to take one or two of these and just do them. Like it, It's no good to talk about this stuff and to walk away and think, oh, I know a little bit more about confession. Like You'll experience the power of Jesus in your life as you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to take what you say, and I'm just going to do it. I'm going to apply it to my life. And so... Uh, here are the practices I'm encouraging us to do. Make a list of the wrongs committed. Childhood, teen years, adulthood. Or things done to you, things you participated in, things you initiated. Make a list. Ask God to give you godly sorrow. Prayerfully seek out somebody with skin on to confess to. Confess. Rip up those lists of sins and receive God's forgiveness. And that's my uh, challenge to us this week, if God is speaking to you regarding this issue, uh, to take action with it. I'm going to invite the, the team to come up. We're going to celebrate communion together. I, uh, every time we do communion, I always feel like it's really fitting. Uh, today, even more so, because communion is actually all about confession. When we, when we take communion, those of you who are not used to taking communion, communion is a public act of confession and repentance and receiving the forgiveness and grace of God. That's what it is. The, the, the bread the, the, uh, and the, the juice, they represent God's, Jesus' broken body and his shed blood. And it's this reminder that we do together of saying, Jesus, I receive what you've done. Your body was broken for me. Your blood was shed to make it so that I'm right with God and I receive it.